Patrick and Tom thought they had escaped the hell of Amityville, but another franchise has gotten its hooks into them. The Amityville Podcast goes to hell. Welcome back to the Amityville Horror Podcast. I am Tom. I'm Pat. And this is the end of Hellraiser. Kind of, sort of. This is, we're doing Hellraiser Judgment, which is the last installment of the original quote-unquote continuity that started with uh, Clive Barker's 1986 film Hellraiser. Uh, Doug has Doug has been gone for two minute, two movies. He will not be back for this one, even though Gary Tunnicliffe, writer, director, and uh, star, or co-star of this film... Uh, did approach him about signing up, but Doug told them to go to hell when they said, when, uh, they said, like, we'll send you the script, but we, ha- we have to sign a non-disclosure agreement first. It's like, dude, just, just send me the script to Hellra- Hellraiser 10, and if I like it, I'll do it. If not, okay. Yeah. Uh, but so that's how we lost Doug. Uh, this was... Uh, of course, uh, another installment of we need to pres- to uh, hold on to the rights to Hellraiser, and we literally have no other ideas. So Gary Tunnicliffe, who had been doing some form of makeup for Hellraiser since number eight or number three, rather, uh, very similar looking numbers. I'm sorry, very similar I mean, looking numbers. That's true. That's true. I was missing I I I V I I. I mean, it's just one typo. It's, it's not my fault. Um, I can never learn how to read. Um, the uh, Gary Tunnicliffe had actually approached the Weinstein's about doing what became the script for this movie uh, for like number four, oh. and uh, the Weinstein's told him no, and uh, so. He had held on to the script, and uh, oddly enough, this was not the script that he turned like he uh, wrote over a weekend and turned in for Revelations, which he wanted to direct but couldn't because of scheduling issues. But when uh, Revelations did, you know, whatever it did for it, just maintained the rights. That's all it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was time to maintain the rights again, and so like Gary, you got anything? And he's like, well. I have this script that I originally started as a Hellraiser script, but then took all the Hellraiser bits out to make it its own thing so that I could, you know, write and direct a movie. Uh, but that failed to get kickstarted. I can put the Hellraiser stuff back in. And then three drafts later, we have Hellraiser Judgment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause right there for questions about why not go to the version before you took it all out oh, we and rewrite like, from there. Oh, we didn't like that version. Okay. And as a writer, I get that, but it is one of the things that's like, it made me think of Max Allen Collins, mm. who, um, he's done a lot of movie novelizations as a giant part of his career, but he also does other writing. Okay. And one of the things he wrote was the original graphic novel for Paradox Press for The Road to Perdition. Oh. Now, The Road to Perdition was turned into a film by Sam Mendes. Mm-hmm. 
Max Allen Collins did not write the screenplay. Somebody else adapted his comic into the movie. Mm. But because one of his other careers is doing movie novelizations... Oh, you're kidding. He did the novelization <laughs> of somebody else's script for their adaptation of his comic book. And it is that way around. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to write the book version of my comic yeah. and just call it that. It's like, my job is to adapt what they did to the movie. Oh, so funny. that yeah, just the weird like mm-hmm. hop arounds of you know rewriting yourself after it's been through some things. Yes, yeah, and so. But then, isn't that what we do to ourselves? We live life and we adjust. I mean, yeah, They're just you know, we got to do whatever's getting us paid. Basically, at, any yeah, given, yeah, at, at a heavy given point. And yeah. So, yeah, this was Gary's time to shine. And we like Gary Tunnicliffe. He, if you have any of the Hellraiser DVDs, like after three, he's pops up in all at least once in all the behind the scenes things. He's very mm-hmm. adorable. And we had seen him previously in um, Hellraiser Debtor. He has like a little cameo as one of the That's reporters right. yep. at the in the bullpen at the beginning. But uh, he he will be playing the auditor in this film, uh, who is uh, leader of the Stygian Order. Which, like, honestly, guy, I'm very curious to see how you think, what you think about this, because this is a guy who really likes Hellraiser and wanted to make Hellraiser bigger. Okay. Yeah, I'm excited. The, I'm uh, we've got a new guy playing Pinhead this time around, but it is uh, he is playing both both the uh, the voice and the body. Uh, he had originally, I think, uh, Tunnicliffe had originally had him uh, audition for. Uh, the auditor role, mm-hmm. and then he just kind of liked him for it, and so it's like, oh, let's uh, let's try you out for Pinhead, and that worked. It was um, why you Paul at, T. Taylor? Oh, Paul T. Taylor. Yeah. This franchise in general has had a lot of separate voice actors. Um, what do you mean? Going back to the first movie, like all uh, the, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. I mean, with his, Fra- Frank being uh, the actor playing Sean Chapman being overdubbed to be yeah. American. Yeah. But, like, it's just been a weirdly consistent thread through this. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But, so, this is it. This is the end of this version of the story. Do you feel like we're, we're here? This is only the penultimate... However, this is the only the penultimate pod uh, episode installment for our Hellraiser section. Well, I'm definitely curious about where the universe could have expanded right before this iteration of it was mm-hmm. cut off. But also, like, I don't think there is a giant amount of continuity film to film to film. So even no. with a reboot, when can you really say it was fully rebooted? I mean, yeah, there's a big budget coming in. Well, but, I, go ahead. But, like, losing Doug Bradley is mm-hmm. obviously a major break in what could have been considered continuity. But before mm-hmm. that, there wasn't. Mm-hmm. Amityville. Different every time. Like, different people, different ideas, different creators. Texas Chainsaw has been, again, continuity-free and different. Like, the really the only thing that has separated, the only two things that have separated this franchise for its consistency has been having Doug Bradley for so long. Mm -hmm. And after that, having Ton of Cliff still involved. Like, there is at least a thread of Mm -hmm. of consistency, but not continuity. Yeah. Um... And, yeah, this is the end of that era and, like, only one film left to go. Like, mm. we have not had this much continuity 
up until now on any of our projects. Yeah, no, agreed. And without giving too much away from the uh, the reboot version, uh, the I, I would say a crucial distinction that separates like the reboot as a reboot versus just another installment, a la like you know the um the Derek Mears Friday Thirteenth is this is just another Friday the Thirteenth. We're not rebooting anything. This is yeah. just this uh, is. Not only uh, making the actor playing Pinhead uh, identifying as female, but the whole redesign of Pinhead to go along with that kind of does create a different vibe to okay. the whole thing. So, gotcha. That's why, like, I would say, yeah, this is a reboot. In in addition to a whole bunch of other things that I don't want to spoil just yet. Fair enough, but, but it's, uh, yeah, it's like the box always looks the same. Mm-hmm. Pinhead is always still Pinhead, and there's no real re-explaining him, so they're mm. just assuming you know who he is so far. This is true. So it's really just stepping into these little pocket stories that happen in this loosely defined universe. Agreed. But now it's coming to an end. This is it. We yeah. only have 81 minutes left of this universe. <gasps> you guys right. feel a little sad. I do. I don't know how I feel after the movie, but... That's a good point. Yeah. Probably hungry. Actually, no. I, I'm kind of... I almost feel bad. Like, by the time I got your text, I was like, I guess I can't tell him that this is not a great movie to eat during. I got a strong stomach for that kind of thing. Fair. And it will be tested, because this movie is disgusting. Um, Yay. But also, I kind of like the idea of this being a fairly sizable budget for a fan film. Mm-hmm. Because Gary Tonicliffe is a Hellraiser fan, despite the fact that yeah, yeah. In addition to having worked on them, it's just he has had ideas about where to go with the series, and now he gets to do this. Can I was trying to think of like other like really good or you know like semi official fan films. Like there was the um, there's the Tom Jane Punisher movie, like the, the little short that he did, Laundry yeah. Day, the Laundry Day short, which is. A fan film, but it is starring the guy who played the Punisher yeah. as the Punisher. Yeah. Or um, go in the other direction, because he had played him and then did the fan film. Mm-hmm. But other direction, uh, Ryan Reynolds making the fan film for Darede- for, uh, Dead- 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 yeah. for Deadpool. Yeah. Um, for Daffy Duck, apparently, also. For, also the way Daffy I'm Duck. speaking. But uh, Porky Pig, I guess, technically. Yeah. Eh. They're all Mel Blanc in the end. This is true. Including Deadpool, weirdly. Including Deadpool, weirdly. But, yeah, no, that was... I mean, that worked out best for everybody. Like, I I believe that was, like, a proof-of-concept video that was, like, made for the movie, but him releasing it like that, because it was totally Ryan Reynolds who did it. Mm -hmm. Even though he is, like, you know... He's had, like, the biggest quotation marks around him when he says, oh, I didn't didn't do it. Mm -hmm. But it was him in it, and it was the director of that that wound up directing the film, and they did get millions of dollars to put this thing together. Based exclusively Um, And they did host it at San Diego Comic-Con. So I I still don't see how you can connect him to any of it. Right. But yeah. Uh, There's uh, minor spoilers for the incredible Friday the 13th fan film Never Hike Alone. Yes! But that has an incredible cameo at the end that makes it more of an official movie than not. Yeah, um... Yeah, I don't know. We shouldn't spoil it or Yeah, let's not spoil it. Yeah. Um, but no, but that, that was so good. It's so good. Like, everything... Like, it was just a great Friday the 13th mm, Better movie. than some of the films. It was such a clever concept. It's all... It, it's set up 
as a uh, nature trail blogger type of guy, like a YouTube guy that his channel's all about hiking, and he goes hiking in the woods in northern New Jersey and winds up at Camp Crystal Lake. And somebody else is there. Mm-hmm. And But it's all, I like, everything, they do a good, like, this was what, like, this is a great v, a VHS that wasn't a VHS. Because right. they, he uh, is very strict about the camera. Up until the end, I think, like, at some, right, okay, so it's yeah. more like a, a Leslie Vernon, where it's, like, it's pretty strong on the documentary vibe until it's time to drop the documentary vibe. Right. But yeah, we need to break the rules a little just to finish this story out. Hopefully, you're long enough for the ride that you still had fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, uh, like I kind of view um, Superman Returns as a fan film because Singer doesn't really bring anything new to the to the movie. It's just him doing. Well, what if I could do Superman? Um, I. Yes and no, because a lot of what he did doesn't strike me as being a fan. Interesting. (laughs) Um, He definitely was trying to... They were openly making a sequel to Superman 2. Yes. And they said as much in production. They said that it's following that continuity, except we jumped, you know, jumped some years. But that, yeah, this is very specifically that world and that version of it. Except you drop Otis, except wow. you forget major elements of how Kryptonite works. Like it's fine. I don't think it was a fan film. I think yeah. it was a big budget. We don't have ideas film. Yes. Fair. All right. All right. Um, but I would call that a studio blockbuster resting on previous work rather than I have this idea and damn it, I want to make my Superman movie. Got it. Got I would it. say, like, Brightburn is more of a fan film. Okay, yeah. Because that is very clearly James Gunn's idea for a Superman movie that was never going to get made as a Superman movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and totally feels like an Elseworlds. Like, yeah. No. Yeah. I still and need to see that. It's good. It's good. It's not my favorite of his. And he didn't direct it. Yeah. Um, the I, trailer was great, though. Yeah, no, it's like that and the Belko experiment were two where I'm like, I wonder if this would have been different if Gunn had directed it. Like, mm. there's some ideas there, but it just didn't cross the line for me. Got it. Mm. Um, I appreciate them. I just, yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I just, they're not elevated. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, that definitely crosses off the, I was also going to consider uh, The Force Awakens kind of like, a fan Star Wars film, but no, you're right. Like that feels falls more in like the uh, the Superman Returns. It's like mm. we have no ideas, so we're you just gonna. You are do it. a fan, but what you're doing with this is not a fan's work. Yeah, yeah. A fan's work is just going all in on like I'm going deep cuts. I'm doing this for the people who've been around for the whole ride. Mm-hmm. Not a, I want to bring new people into the fold. Got it. So, um, uh, crazy thought. Mm-hmm. The Cornetto trilogy. Even though not specifically about, or even though not about any specific property on its own, the love for the genres. Those are genre fan films, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, I'm just trying to think of stuff where it's like you wrote this because you wanted it to be a sequel to, uh, Mm. and either you had to rename it or you put it out yourself as, you know. 
yeah. as a fan film. I could have sworn we had one. I mean, like where there were, like there was one. It's just like this movie is that. Well, I will say that most of the Amityvilles we've watched are technically fan film. Well, oh. no. A third of them are fan films, and two-thirds of them are, oh, we can call it that to make money? Sure. Yeah. But there are definitely fan films within the within what we've watched. Oh, totally. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, i got to try to think. I know I had, like, one mm-hmm. something where it was just like, this person is playing this character... And they're just, like they're almost specifically not naming him so that they can pretend that it's this person yeah. just like on another adventure. And I could have sworn I had one. Yeah, and like I mean, there's stuff that's clearly inspired oh. by like Elm Street or clearly yeah. inspired by. Oh, but you said okay. Oh no, I was just kind of like I was reminded of how um, in Sneakers, uh, Robert Redford the the file photo they have of the the NSA shows up. You've seen Sneakers. Mm-hmm. The, the, when the NSA shows up, the file photo they have of Robert Redford is a picture of him in Three Days of the Condor. Oh. Like that kind of a thing nice. where it's just like, okay, this actor is not technically playing the same character, but it kind of might Could be the same character. Yeah. Um, where would we put Soldier? Soldier yeah, was written... Film. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was written as a Blade Runner uh, spinoff. Right? Doesn't he like among the awards listed? Isn't there like the like the the Roy Batty Award mm-hmm. or something like that? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That movie is chock full of Blade Runner nods sure. and references. It was written by the writer of Blade Runner, mm-hmm. and it was written to be another movie in the Blade Runner universe that didn't require Deckard. I can see that, and it wound up not being produced. Or no, it was produced by Warner Brothers, I think. Uh, or was it a different studio? Maybe, I don't know. I, 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 I think at that time, like, uh, Paul W.S. Anderson was in good with Warner Brothers. Yeah, like, did a lot of New Line stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I think it's like... Eh, Could have been. Be. I don't remember. Any, whichever yeah. studio did put out Soldier, mm-hmm. um, and I, I do think it was Warner Brothers who owns Blade Runner. Uh-huh. Uh, for some reason, they didn't, they didn't call it anything Blade Runner or whatnot. They... They never said it's a Blade Runner movie. Yeah. But it's a Blade Runner movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I can see that. And it's a, here's what else I would do. But is that a fan film? Because he created the mo- first one. He wrote the first movie. Uh, then no. Yeah. yeah. Nah, that doesn't. That's, that's a just, sneakwool. That's a sneakwool. Ah. <laughs> I like that. All right. Sneakwool. Then I guess but, I'll end on like Fifty Shades of Grey, obviously being a ooh that is yeah oh and, that's a good one. But that's a book where it started yeah. book wise, but that was yeah that was fanfic for Twilight exactly. Um, wow, and it outsold. Well, it didn't outsell to I don't know actually. Both of them sold insanely well, which yeah. as a person who worked at a bookstore for eight years is depressing. Hey. People want to read what they want to read. People want to read what they want to read. I'm glad people were reading it all, and sure. that was a general sentiment through the store. But we would try and catch the people and say, while you're reading it, when you finish this, here's some other stuff that's not a huge jump from where you are, but while you've got reading momentum. This is some we would like smut. you to Yeah. <laughs> we would like you to read, like, here's some, you know, elevated smut, or here's some pulpy smut. Here's yeah. some, you know, here's some clever. Here's some, you know. And, oh, you like the vampire side of things. Well, let's introduce you to this stuff. And, yeah. like, not every customer listens, obviously, or book sales would have gone up. Mm-hmm. We were only one store. What could we do? Yeah. We did get uh, Chris Elliott's 
first novel novel um, to track a lot better than the franchise was considering because it started as we got like two copies in for the store, but uh, Bridget and I, my friend Bridget, uh, we are huge Chris Elliott fans, so we're like, well, we're going to get extra copies and make all the staff read them, and then we're just, yeah. And so we set up our own mini display, and we, by a month or two later, through the region, it was a front-of-store display. Yeah. And apparently it was based on how well it was tracking at our store and suggesting it to people. <laughs> Literally anybody would come in, oh, you like books that are about historical fiction? Well, here's a take on that. Oh, you like murder mysteries? Well, this is a take on that. And this is anything we could do because it's basically um, – it's investigating a serial killer at uh, the, the jolly old thwacker um, at turn of the century in New York. Um, it's – a reporter from the Times, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, uh, pre-presidency. Sure, sure. And, like, you know, some folks, they're investigating this murderer who Chris Elliott had always been obsessed with personally. Mm. He always thought it was a fascinating unsolved case. And so he figured if he wrote the Da Vinci Code style book. <laughs> oh, so if you like Da Vinci Code, maybe try but he had been putting together all these pieces and with modern technology, he thinks he may have cracked the case as he's writing the book. So he starts to incorporate himself more into the mystery that he's trying to do the fictional version. It gets really weird. Okay. It gets really nonsensical, but it's got a very like, um, I'd, I'd say like Douglas Adams touches. All right. Um, but like, Douglas Adams playing dumb. So, like, there are mistakes. Gently. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Like, they're, like, open mistakes that are jokes if you're looking. So, like, he talks about how the Santa Ana winds are blowing in through Brooklyn, and there's no reference beyond that. You just have to know that that's wrong yeah. to be able to continue. Awesome. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, we push the living hell out of that. Okay. Um well, that ties us back to our movie, which is a Hellraiser movie, but is going to follow three intrepid detectives going after a seven-style serial killer. Oh, perfect! Right? This is definitely going to be better than Seven. It's not going to be better than Shroud of the Thwacker, I'll tell you that. It's not going to be better than Shroud of the Thwacker. But, so, we will see you in one minute after watching the last of the original continuity Hellraiser films. Oh, it's sad. And we're back. Well, you, you haven't seen this movie before. What do you think? Uh, overall, I mean, you know, to put the end of it first, I liked it. Yay. Success. I like this one, too. Um, I'll say blanketly, I think it's one of the best-looking ones of the post-theatrical. Yeah. I love that they um, they actually played with the colors, but you know, with filter colors, but correctly. Yeah. So it's like the real world has like the more just normal coloring. The Stygian order has the the amber color, colors, and then the uh, the the pinhead cenobites. The order of the gash mm -hmm. uh, has the the washed out blue yeah. faded look. But it's colors and it's a like a little bit of filters, a little bit of just set design, mm -hmm. um, some lighting. But it's never pushing any of it to its 
absolute brink like they did in some of them. Okay. Uh, part six is the one that really just stood out to me. If you mm-hmm. don't know how color correction works, like you can't just say, oh, let's make it bluer and then take the blue knob and just crank it up like at the beginning of a Twisted Sister video. Or no, Quiet Riot video. Yeah. Yeah. There was care and concern in putting it. I, I mean, I, I don't think this is the first... I forget if this was the first movie he directed, but Tunnicliffe, I think, does a good job with the direction of it, if not the actual script, which is uneven. Like, it, yeah. I, I think all the supernatural sequences are written... All the dialogue in there is, is pretty mm-hmm. good. And great one-liners, great, great moment-to-moment dialogue, mm-hmm. but exposition is a weak spot for a lot of people. There's a reason why there are so many books on how to write exposition. Yeah. Because you know you have to say the thing. You know the thing has to be given to the audience somewhere and somehow. Mm-hmm. God, they, I mean, I know I've brought it up before, but when the cliff is a different color, you know Wally Coyote's fallen. Yes. <laughs> Certain dialogue just stands out as exposition unless you really... Hide it well, and most people cannot. At least they didn't have the brothers refer to themselves as brothers. Like, somebody else refer comments on the fact that they're brothers. Right. That was kind of... It was a nice change. Yeah. The, um... So, uh... This is not Gary Tonicliffe's first movie, as it turns out. Mm. Um, he directed at least two more prior. But okay. But nothing, of, you know, no... For the purposes Gary, of this podcast. Gary, we love you. Right. But, you know, it's... Come on. Um, but yeah, so this one starts with our new and improve our, our new pinhead who they, uh, on the, on the Wikipedia and stuff, they go into detail about how they changed the makeup around a bit. Like there's like one less layer of pins, I think. And, and like a different, mm-hmm. like around the jaw, the, 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 the grid is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And also his, a uh, cassock has a different design where it has like the diamond of the Leviathan configuration uh, more in his, uh, le- his uh, leather cassock now. But um, we have Pinhead bemoaning the fact that the internet has ruined being a Hellraiser. Yeah. It's just difficult now with all your newfangled doodads and iPhones and everything. And all we've got is a wooden box. Mm-hmm. Okay, boomer. I mean... It was a little bit of a boomer complaint. It was kind of yeah. funny. And it was all silly. They can just go online and find all oh, their evil, blah, blah, blah. Or they can find, you know, consensual clubs to blah, blah, blah. And, like, my note was basically that, um, okay, Cenobites are kink-shaming. I mean, a little bit. Definitely the avenues of the kink. It's yeah. It's like, you used to have to work to be to be gross. And now these kids are just going online and clicking a button, and then they're gross. Yeah. It's terrible. And they're taking away the innocence of this all. <laughs> like, they're just, they're finding healthy, consensual ways to do this. It's just, it's... Uh, Where's the fun in that, where, says evil? Where's the sweet suffering? Yeah. <laughs> where's, the, where's the unspeakable evil? I know. It's almost as like the thing that was, you know, taboo ten years ago isn't really that big a deal anymore. If this is about Furbies, I, I don't even see them around anymore. You know. Oh wait, we because we stopped on Brody Connor Baltimore. Oh god, fucking Furbies! There's nothing scarier than a Furby that's been, you know, skinned. 
which is not really, you know, it's not about, you know, pain to the Furby, because Furbies don't understand pain like we do. But it's just, oh, just the mechanisms and all the horribleness. Uh, my brain flipped. I can't remember if I said Furby or if I said Brony, but also... You said Brony. Oh, okay. God, I, we, for a I, second we, I was like... Or no, you were, oh, no you, talk, no, you said Furby originally and then made a comment about BronyCon not coming to Baltimore, which I was confused about. Yeah, my bad. Because yeah. then you started talking about skinning bronies. I'm like, then it would just be the person in the costume. No, skinning Furbies. Because you said Furbies. First. I did say that first. <laughs> but also, yes, they are nightmare fuel when they're out of Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. So, uh, as Pinhead is bemoaning the modern world, the our new character, the Assessor, played by writer and director Gary Tunnicliffe, says that we have the house is set up. We have the new process. I think we've got something that we can work with. And Penn is like, ah, like any glam rocker towards the end of his career. It's just like, fine, mm-hmm. just do whatever you're going to do. Just uh, look, just keep us on tour. Keep the checks rolling in. Yeah. Just let me know if and it works. I'll take credit for it. If it doesn't, I never, if we need never to heard st- of you. If we need to start putting songs on summer soundtracks, we'll do it. That's a lot of rock bands start turning into that. It's a tradition that goes back at least to the eighties. But that was the crazy. Who, who it was? Jake Isles band did the Fright Night song. Uh huh. It was crazy because it's like that's like their second biggest hit. Yeah. It's weird, but a lot of times the biggest hits wind up being the soundtrack ones because you're selling off your album, the single, and the soundtrack. That's true. And a lot of people don't want the whole soundtrack, so they just buy the single. It's such a good tune. I mean, Aerosmith, most of their big hits were soundtrack songs when you get to it. Yeah, other than that one album. The the Get a Grip album kind of did well on its own. Yeah, and like their old stuff had done very well, but I yeah. Don't Want to Miss a Thing was a monster smash for them. Oh yeah, that was their only number one hit. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, then they started putting stuff in every soundtrack they could. Every stretch. Yeah. Smash Mouth, their career is heavily <laughs> soundtrack first. Yeah. And people do, still don't understand that it was a Mystery Man song first. That's where it was supposed to be. But they say Meteor Man in the song, which is a weird, weird oversight slash... Is weird? Meteor Man? Yeah. And the Meteor Man beg to differ... Oh, yeah. Uh, but, like, you couldn't have just changed it. Same syllables. Wait, is he saying... Wait. You could have switched it to Mystery Man very easily, no, but it no. never has been. I thought he said the media men. But the media man begs to differ. I always heard it Meteor, <laughs> and on every karaoke version I've ever seen, they say Meteor, but okay, that said, that's not necessarily, like, they might have just as broken ears as I do from listening yeah. to all this crap. Interesting. Media makes more sense. That's, yeah. Um, yeah. I just always wondered why it wasn't the Mystery Men if it, you're doing the Meteor Men. Like, yeah, that's just, they, it's I just right there. I don't think right they're saying Meteor Men, but... I, to confirm this, either one of us would have to look up the lyrics to Smash Mouth. But then I would have Smash Mouth in my search history. Exactly. This is why I'm saying we're not going to do this. So, yeah. the assessor sends a letter to uh, Mr. Watkins saying, Hey, all the answers to all your dreams are here at 55 Ludovico Street, which is the address from the original Hellraiser film of the house set in Brooklyn. Because mm-hmm. it's totally Brooklyn. 
and is, of course, the larger uh, reference to the Ludovico treatment in uh, Clockwork Orange. Mr. Watkins shows up, and he finds himself strapped to a wheelchair, and a man with a heavily scarred face and a silly German accent, Gary Tenacliffe is English, uh, asking him questions about the evil that he has done. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of gross stuff. Um, well, it, it's fun. I, I, I thought I, I enjoyed Tunnicliffe as the assessor. Yeah, as like this different. Like Pinhead was always different from most horror movie villains in terms of how uh, verbose and uh, just the eloquence of how he spoke. But having somebody uh, being equally eloquent but more bureaucratic about everything was right. this is even weirder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and having this and what was fun is that the scars on his face are actually modeled off of a fan uh, pinhead idea back in uh, the mid-aughts when they were still talking about just fl- flat out remaking Hellraiser and starting over uh, somebody had turned in it may have been Tonicliffe actually had just you know suggested this idea where it was Pinhead and they were still like crisscrossing but it wasn't a formal grid anymore and uh, Clive Barker immediately put the kibosh on that because it does go against the whole idea of oh, the or, grid exactly yeah. but it was fun seeing it reused and like if you know the picture you kind of like immediately see it uh, but yeah all the gore effects in this movie look good. All the makeup looks good. And oh, so absolutely. We get just the weirdness of the interview and the assessment because first Watkins confesses all of his sins and uh, he is a child rapist. And murderer. And murderer. Just an absolute horror of a human. Yeah. Uh, the assessor types all of this up on paper and then gives it to the assessor. Who uh, and for the so for the interview, mm-hmm. um, I do it. Basically, it it ha- he has the tone through the whole thing of not so much an actual job interview, but any given comedy sketch about a job interview. Mm-hmm. That kind of Q and A, totally. Um, just the, you know, or like even not necessarily a job interview, but like oh, so you've come here for an argument, you know. Uh, you thought it was like a Monty sketch. Python sketch, right? But like, okay. just in general, the job, the the job or professional interview, you know, trope. And I know I made the comment to you, but um, that why are we doing this? Because like, I mean, this is an interview for hell. This is an interview for job. Like, pretty much my resume should speak for myself. Really, the interview is just a BS person to person thing, like. It serves no actual practical function for finding out if somebody's going to be good at their job. Mm. And this guy clearly has the resume. I don't know why we're talking right now. He wants the details. He yeah. wants the emotion. Yeah. And he it's, wants to know what you were feeling while you did it. Right. And he puts that to paper. He does type up your resume mm-hmm. with everything you've done instead. Because nobody's going to show up to a um, an infernal judgment prepped. Mm-hmm. Like cross-citing references and all that. Yeah. So like he's typing up. If I have the two references, yeah. Um, Well, I mean that's why he's you know speaking on his own behalf of what he has done. So like everything is their confession he's putting onto paper, then given to the the assessor. But like they're not assuming on the way in; they're literally just putting on paper what this person is confessing is what they believe their sins are. Yes. So it's perspective sins. I think is an important part of it. 
perspective sense. If they don't think that it's a sin to not hold a door open for someone mm-hmm. or to steal a penny from the jaw, like from the tray, they're not going to confess that. But if they do think it's a sin, they will. It only gets on paper if the person himself considers it a sin. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because the assessor is also like asking for about specific dates and stuff. So even right. it's not like volunteered. It's, it's prompted, yeah. but it's certainly like it's this person's feelings. Yeah, it's this person's outward projection of what they have done. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't, it, it's just, especially for later, I think it's an important Fair. thing to. Yeah. And then, um, so then the assessor is called in, played by horror film director John Gulliger of Feast fame. Have you ever seen the Feast movies? Yeah. I've never seen them. Any fun. Good? Yeah. yeah. They're fun. They're, they're gross. They're big and gross. Well, I think Gary Tonicliffe did the, the, the effects on uh, that yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, the assessor uh, puts the puts the typed pages into a bowl, fills it with the tears of children. He says, and then proceeds to cut like literally cut the paper into little bits and eat it with a knife and fork. By the way, with a knife and fork. Yeah, like yeah, no scissors, no. Literally, just like he's diving in like it's a turkey platter. Yeah, it's insane, and then. After he's finished, he goes over. Once he's had enough, he goes over to this. Uh, there's a funnel that connects to a tube to another room, and proceeds to regurgitate the man's sins mm-hmm. in just like some sort of Garmin Bosia esque goo. Yeah, it's um, this. My tummy tends to be very soft when it comes to those kind of things. Watching them on movies, or especially in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I was, I was looking away a bit. Yeah, no, it, it's, I, I felt bad not warning you ahead of time when you said you were picking up food on the way. It's like, yeah. it's, this is not an eating movie. No. Uh, I will be eating afterwards, you know, once I've gouged out my eyes. And, uh, so in the next room, the, uh, the jury reads the vomit by like stick it. It's these three half naked girls with incredible racks and yeah, they're basically flayed faces. They're naked except for basically wearing like slightly more than g-string. Yeah, on bottoms. Mm-hmm. But other than that, yeah, like they're yeah they're topless and they're just like swimming their feet and hands around in the vomit and like yep. just kind of like I don't know checking it for weight or uh, <sighs> but yeah yeah and also it's important like half of their faces are missing like yeah. it's all just like random chunks of their skin is gone. Mm. But if they think it's good, it's bad for you. Because now it's time to be cleaned. And base, I, I didn't understand what the cleaners were doing, really. It was just like... Kind Licking of like, him? Yeah. They were like... Uh, in, in the first version, it's very vague what they're yeah. doing. Um, except that the assessor looks at it and kind of is grossed out himself. Yeah. But uh, later on, we when we see the process again, it looks like looks like rain. Oh my! Yeah. Uh, it looks like they're licking him, okay. licking the person up and down, spitting into a chalice, and then pouring the chalice full of the person's sin <sighs> down their throat. Yeah, uh, all of your sin saliva. Just yeah, it's more yeah. gross. It's really gross. And then the butcher and the surgeon come in. The butcher is some gigantic Terry Gilliam-esque giant. Right. 
and riding on his back is the surgeon, a much more svelte person of indeterminate gender in a leather, uh, surg- a leather surgical gown and gas mask. And uh, they just rip, uh, they, they rip Mr. Watkins apart. Mm-hmm. It's basically got um, the surgeon, ha- the, bu- the butcher has no shirt on, is a fairly heavy set man and wears a, what looks like a wooden baby mask. Yeah. Like the face of a baby doll. Like the, uh, the Happy made Death of, Day mask. Sort right, of the Happy Death Day mask. Yeah, this baby face that looks like it's made of wood and painted black that has um, on top of it just a black veil that goes to the back like a nun's habit. Yeah. But then again, no shirt. And then, and, and it's, it, yeah, Terry Gilliam, like creepy as fuck. Yeah, it's just this monstrous Thing that could just shamble into, you know, a hallway. Yeah. Just, yeah. And then the blades that the butcher uses are when you've, like, you pictured, like, the pit and the pendulum, the swinging yeah. blade from that, like, the rounded moon, yeah. crescent moon. It's just two of those, but in, um, where the pendulum would attach, it's just grip handles. Yeah. So, yeah. And just, like, swinging back and forth and up and down in every direction, just going at it. And then the surgeon drops the blades and just rips the dude's skin off. Yep. Because Hellraiser, baby. Yeah. Hellraiser. Doing the skinning thing again. Mm. For reasons. He only gets flayed when he's older. Anyway. Fair. That's about all we can afford for soundtrack rights. And honest to God, while this is happening, we cuts to Pinhead in a room staring at a wall, wondering what has become of his life. Yep. It's kind of hilarious. Like, yeah. like this, like the the unspoken subplot of this movie is Pinhead's going through his midlife crisis. Kind of, yeah. It's, it's, like they don't even need me anymore. Where's the fun? Where's the joy? Where's the real work anymore? I just I don't like, know what happened to my life. Yeah, and we cut to Pinhead in this room several times through the movie at different points. He's yeah. involved in the movie. Yes, but whenever it does cut to him in that room. I keep waiting for him to just take a deep breath, sigh, slump, and pop open a can of something. Yeah. It's, boom, boom, boom. It, Hell is not what it used to be. Back in my day. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just, yeah, like every 10 or so minutes, they cut to that same shot just to remind you, Pinhead is in this movie. We mm-hmm. promise. This is yeah. still a Hellraiser movie. Yeah, but Pinhead... No- Right now, we're telling you, the audience, what Pinhead right now already knows. Pinhead's got nothing to do. No. But Pinhead knows it, too. That is his character journey. It kind of is. No, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. It's for as much as, you know, we can joke about the tone of those scenes, especially in between. It very specifically establishes what Pinhead's going through. Yeah. And yeah, right. it works. It does. It's kind of fun seeing him as a character. Yeah. But, so after this, after our little shot of Pinhead, we cut to the Carter Brothers. Oh, wait. We cut to the opening credits. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. All of this is the the pre-credit sequence. Yes. We get the pre-credit sequence, and then we get the the Lanning girl. Sophia Uh Lanning. Yep. Coming home, drunk, uh, cursing out her Uber driver, and uh, she is uh, later uh, 
it's later said that she's 21 year old is 21 year old she's some sort of wealthy woman mm-hmm. and uh, so this is clearly the first time she's been drinking if she's only 21 exactly <laughs> yeah never, it's never happened before she's a perfect little angel so she comes to her home to find uh, all these candles lit like a uh, a uh, late 1980s music videos worth of candles being lit around mm-hmm. her apartment. She is like Sting is basically saying he's stalking you level of candles. Exactly. Um, so uh, she's at she thinks it's her on again off again guy, and like it's basically like a Friday the 13th level monologue about. Where are you? This is boring. I told you not to come around here anymore, but I guess we can fuck if you're here. Are you here? I don't think it was her part. No. She says something about um, his key or like her key or getting. Key. She said that she needed to, needs to get his key back from him. He gave. So her, it is her part. It, oh yeah, it's totally her. For part. some reason, I, I like it. I I don't know why I thought it might not be her apartment. Yeah, no, 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 it's her apartment. Okay. Um, and uh, while she's, uh, when she finally realizes that she can't hear her dog and maybe I should call the police, the preceptor comes out of the darkness. Dun, dun, dun. The preceptor is our serial killer who is killing people uh, based on the Ten Commandments and now has only, uh, what, two more to go? Three more as three. of this scene. Three more as of this scene. Yeah. But then after kills this her. case. After this one, it's two more. But yeah, it says yeah, two more commandments, and she is victim number fourteen. I believe so. Yeah. So obviously, some of the previous ones were tableaus. But, you know, two you know, first. We don't get details. Yeah, but, you know, that's all right. That's all right. right. Just don't 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 limit your don't limit your creativity. Look, you know, movies movies are movie length. I like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, like we don't need an extra hour to explain all the backstory. Hell no. This was, uh, like, this movie's 81 minutes, but it still feels like it's only 40 minutes of actual story. Yeah, but it also doesn't feel like it's three hours long. Which is appreciated. And and so after she is being grabbed and presumably murdered... Oh, wait, no, we we see her get stabbed? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, We get introduced to detectives Carter and Carter, Sean and David, brothers in arms. Mm -hmm. Don't worry, they make that joke in the movie. That way they can show that, you know, they were ahead of you. They thought it was stupid, too, so we'll just make it. Mm-hmm. It's not stupid. They're brothers. Yeah, but they don't tell us they're brothers. Another character does a little bit later. Yeah. They, as you pointed out, do not say, how long have we been brothers? Yeah, which is appreciated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're just driving along, uh, talking this and that. Uh, and the one brother brings up the, A Tale of Two Cities, which... He is. He notes several times is the most popular book in the world. I mean, maybe it is over the last you know century and a half a top seller. It's on summer reading lists. It's you know it's been assigned plenty of times at plenty of schools all over. It is there. a fairly solid seller historically and traditionally. If you're looking at the New York Times bestseller list currently, it is not on the top or probably the list. It's not still currently selling like it has overall of a century and a half. Um, uh, I'm including a lot more just because there's other books that have come out at that time that could give it a run for its money. Sure, sure. Um, what is still a very popular seller, as I mentioned several times every time you said it, 
which I'm sure you were annoyed by, was the Bible. Is yeah. the best-selling book of all time. It's just a fact. If you play bar trivia, you're probably going to have heard that come up. And for the sake of a Hellraiser movie, the Bible does come into play. But it's a Patrick, weird oversight. Patrick. Sean Carter, the detective put in charge of the investigation of the preceptor, is the preceptor. If he had just said the Bible, even David would have figured it out before. But everybody quotes the Bible. <laughs> if you're saying, oh, I read the Bible, oh, well, you're obsessed with it, and so is this killer, you can also say, so are a lot of people. There are religions. That's what they do. I may, you can, it's easier to cover your tracks if you're not, if you're not picking out a book that, not even Dickens' most popular book. A Christmas Carol is more popular. But does it count as a book? Yes. Yes, it was originally serialized as a publication, but it was eventually put into a compendium format, which is what we've had ever since all of all of the movies, and there have been a few, many more than there have been. A, there, there's never been a Muppets Tale of Two Cities. There has never been a Henry Winkler Tale of Two Cities. Well, yeah. They never did a real Ghostbusters based on a tale of two cities. But they also never made a Muppet movie based on the Bible. And for that, I'm thankful. <laughs> ha! Technically, A Christmas Carol would fall in there. It's, it's third generation back from the oh, Bible, but oh, buddy. more you, like inspired you, you, you by... had the win for like two seconds, and you couldn't I can't have that no. as I drop a coaster. Jesus. I spilled the coaster, not the drink. Yeah. The, uh... I'm just no, saying. I'm, no, I'm just saying it's the movie is stupid, and Sean is stupid. That's the whole he point. He is definitely stupid. He, I'm just saying, like as far as covering your tracks, your fandom, if you're, if you're letting your fandom out as yourself, and you're putting it in your murder letters... Oh, we don't find out that he's the killer until the end of the movie, but yeah. we're talking about it now because uh, you didn't we see are it anyway. a podcast it's fine. talking about a movie. You're not going to see the movie, even though it's on Tubi for free. Yeah, and it's only eighty-one minutes. Yeah, and it's not. It's fine. <laughs> if you're watching the movie and you don't suspect him as the murderer, um, it's were you really watching the movie? I mean, honestly, yes, because the police sections of the movie are just very poorly written. Like, there's almost no story there. It's just, hey, I was watching Seven, and I'm just going to put five scenes together. Right, but when they drop a clue, it stands out so hard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, yeah, like, again, he mentions Tale of Two Cities. Then it's in a murder letter. Then it's (laughs) underlined in a book he has at home. Yeah. If you have not put it together before the reveal... That's on you. I mean, David didn't put it together. But David, like his brother, is stupid. They are so stupid. So, and this is why uh, Detective Edgerton is brought in on the uh, the Sophia Lanning uh, murder. Because, not for nothing, it's 14 bodies and uh, there's only two commandments left. You guys are kind of shit in the back. Yeah, you haven't caught him yet. You have to understand that, like, the upper brass... Um, we have concerns, here, dude. We have concerns based on every newspaper in town asking us what the fuck, as well as the citizenry of the entire town, um, as well as just everyone around the department. There's a pool going. Yeah, like, 
Are we going to get to, uh, are we going to find Jimmy Hoffa or the preceptor first? Right. My money's on Jimmy Hoffa. David and David Wait, and Sean well, like, so That money is gone. I know, but it's probably buried under Giant Stadium. Hey. Yeah, so, honest to God, you can't even talk about the detective scenes with the, at any great length, because they don't, they just kind of just repeat stale detective cop show oh, yeah. talk of just like, mm-hmm. we're on this. This is personal. We're trying doing everything we can. It was like, well, what have you done? Well, we did these things. And yeah. that's about it. Yeah, and, it's, uh, it's procedural, and you can tell they're not all that invested in them either. Like, they yeah. have to have them in there to yeah. be able to set up the next little bits. Mm-hmm. But that's about as long as they spend on them. And yeah, um, heavy, most heavily influenced by Seven, with uh, Silence of the Lambs into X-Files. Fair. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And or that... You ever see that Christopher Lambert imitation Seven movie? Oh, uh, it's it's like Absalon or something. It's, it's no. pretty funny. It was on Late Night on HBO one time. I was like, man, I want to give Christopher Lambert credit because there's this is not really an action-action movie. It's like a, trying to be a suspense thriller, but it is, you know, a weak Xerox of Seven. Yeah. But, and I anyway. appreciate him getting away from action. Like, he's got to have more fun doing the non-action movies because he's just about blind. Yeah. yeah. Which is insane. And, like, apparently always has been. Oh, yeah. The so, uh, the yeah. Highlander. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, for, for those of you at home, he has to wear massively thick, like, bubbles from uh, Trailer Park Boys glasses to be able to see anything. So he memorizes the muscle movements of his sword fights and that his opponent needs to be spot on because he's literally just swinging exactly as he was trained to. He can't see his opponent. He can see the vague shape of an opponent. This is bad. It's it's fucking impressive. It is also impressive, but also Jesus. Yeah. It does its job, this coaster. Well, it sure do. There's moisture, and so you just you got to slide it off. Uh, yeah. The um. Hence the coasting. I get it now. Yeah. Uh, and we get like Edgerton, the detect, the new detective, is a girl. So it's like perpetually. I know my job. I know what I'm doing. Uh, if you'll just give me a chance, and I mean, if any of this added up to anything, it would be okay. You know, yeah. it's just like fine, but it really doesn't. We get uh, Sean and David have some sort of Batman sixty six logic of uh, trying to track down Watkins from the first scene because like one of the victims' bodies or prints had like was similar to a girl from the school he was scoping out, but it didn't. I don't know. They there was there was a Watkins. convoluted excuse to go look for Watkins. I'm saying, but and Watkins wasn't one of the victims, so it's not like the yeah the actual serial killer was saying, "Hey, the cops aren't finding the body. Let's here's a way to interpret the clue so that we can go there." Yeah, they were like, thinking, he like was, maybe like even they acknowledge there's no way Watkins is the preceptor, but maybe he's connected somehow. Right. And so they go to his closet or garage that he was staying in. Or, I'm sorry, Sean does by himself. Uh, looks at his computer and sees that the last thing he looked up was to get was where to go to uh, 55 Ludovico Street. And so he ends up, Sean ends up in the assessor's chair. And 
We get I we we do. This is the first time we see that Sean is moderately intelligent or even a little intelligent because he cycles through all of the uh pointless questions that the assessor was making fun of Watkins for asking. Mm-hmm. And uh he, he's basically like, no, I get it. Yeah, we're here. What do you need? Yeah. Oh, my sins? Alright. When I was a kid, I, I I punched my dog to death. Yeah. Um when I was it says in that. Yeah. Uh then as a cop I shot a guy through the throat, watched it blow out a fist sized hole. I think that might oh, that was in war. I, I think that was yeah, I think that was his tour of duty. Uh, yeah. And also, I killed children. Yeah, I blew them up with a hand grenade. Describes it all, um, and the assessor even says, "But those were in the line of duty. Like you, you know, are you using that job to basically cover your guilt for these crimes?" And then he's just flat out, "Only God can judge me." Yeah, he's like, oh, "Yeah, I don't know. Here's some more." Yeah, and he just keeps going, and then it just cuts to like, you know. Cute, you know, cute Danny Elfman study montage from back to school as the assessor's just typing and page upon page is being thrown out and yeah. you know Stephen J. Cannell's logo comes up and it's exactly. just you know all work and no play makes him a serial killer. It really does. He ends up whereas like Watkins had like two pages at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Sean has like a you know a novella, yeah, of a page. Dan Aykroyd level script. It's kind of ridiculous. Uh, the assessor comes in and like the pages don't even fit in the bowl. That's how much there are this time. And within like two bites, the assessor, like it's different from the first time. The assessor starts coughing up black juice around the paper, like not even Mm -hmm. waiting and like letting it process just immediately. Yeah. He barely manages to get to the, uh, the, the funnel. That leads to the other room with the jury. He bars into that, and you barely even see them. It's just you just start hearing like screaming. <laughs> yeah, just like oh my god. Yeah, like it goes over to the jury room a little bit later, and they're all just passed out on the floor, covered in black goo. Yeah, it's just too much for everybody, and so mm-hmm. the assessor's the assessor comes back in and says, "Well, uh, we'll just take you to the surgeon then. We don't need no need for the jury to retire." Mm-hmm. Um. And as the uh, as Sean is being cleaned, uh, a giant bell starts ringing, and the assessor says, "No, this cannot be happening." And he goes off to another room in the Ludovico house, and he is visited by Zophiel, who we will later learn is an angel of the Lord, mm-hmm. uh, Eden's protector, yeah, or Eden's something like. Eden's, Eden, guardian, Eden's guardian angel. Something like that. Yeah. Eat, something eaten me. Yeah. Um, and then uh, she says, it's, uh, well, he's got, uh, let him go. This is above your pay grade. Let this guy go. Yeah. But he nearly killed the assessor. He's so evil. What is this? Like, don't mm. worry about things mm. you don't have to worry about. This is not his time. Yeah. There is still more work for him to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have it from on high. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like, loose. do you want, do you, here are your choices. Either you let him go or you become a problem for us. Mm-hmm. What do you want? To, how do you want this mm-hmm. situation to end? And they hit a stalemate and they go in and they find he's escaped. So they don't have yeah. to resolve this conversation yet. He, 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 he lit out. Yeah. He managed to break free and get out and smartly not decide to say, well, now that I'm free, I'm going to be a cop and take you guys down. No, he gets the fuck out. Yeah. 
but not before grabbing one of the Hellraiser boxes that was sitting on the mantelpiece. Mm-hmm. I mean, neat a souvenir. And as serial killers love souvenirs. Serial killers love souvenirs. The uh, he did he had asked the assessor what they were before, and so the assessor yeah. does explain that they're for opening doors. Yeah. I'm gonna backtrack uh, to just a couple little. Micro details. Sure. Uh, one, uh, the blonde girl, when she was found, uh, she was found with a gash oh, upon God. her belly, and she has really that. loose stitching. That's why I take notes. Yeah. Uh, and with staples. Yeah, with staples, and it says something like, I'm a jealous man. God. I'm a je- or, yeah, I'm a jealous God, and she. there's a video loop of her... Yeah. Saying how much she loves her baby wor- more wor- than everything else. I worship this baby. Yeah. And so and they start seeing her belly moving and stay open it up like they open up the stitching and they pull out the little baby dog, thankfully alive. Sure. Um traumatized, I'm sure. Don't know how it breathe breathed in there. Yeah, it's not gonna be good. Brothe? Breathe. Breathe. It is breathe. Yeah. I don't know why that sounds weird. Uh well, but, it's sort of like how yeah. like in the news they say uh he pleaded guilty. It's Instead like, of pled? It's pled. It's like, yeah. we don't use pled anymore? Like, yeah. It's a word. It's fine. It's shorter. Yeah. Save time. And it doesn't sound stupid. Yeah. He pleaded guilty. But, um, and they even, in the one letter, the serial killer says, uh, people are probably going to be more concerned about the dog than the woman. And the dog is an innocent dog. There's a reason you don't kill the dog in a movie. It's oh. because the dog is innocent. People respect the dogs. Well, also the dog's alive. The dog is alive. I mean, you can only care so much about a dead person. Yeah, but <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it's kind of sh- it's kind of shitty to say people are going to care more about the dog when, like, yeah, there's a, every good reason to. I'm I, just saying. I, I like that. I was listening to this uh, the horror movie version, and they had somebody on for I believe it was the Alien versus Predator Requiem episode, and he was like. People that love dogs, I have the best news for you. The dogs in all these movies are actors. They don't actually die. You can relax. Mm -hmm. They're all fine. Just watch the movie. It's just a movie. Yeah. I enjoyed that. I still... (laughs) Uh, And let's see, there was another... Oh. um, Serial killer cop. Um, Sean. I know. (laughs) Why do you use less words? Uh, we have to fill time. <laughs> um, he misses his wife's birthday. Oh, yeah. But he knows he misses his wife's birthday because he misses the birthday when uh, Edger- when Detective Edgerton shows up, introduces herself, goes through the whole thing, gets caught up on the case. At the end of the scene is when he says, well, I got to go. It's my work- wife's birthday and I'm late already. Like, he knew that before they met her. Yeah. And waited until it was an excuse to get out of that conversation to go home, mm-hmm. where his wife stayed up long enough to say, asshole, and go to bed. It's great. Like, yeah, he has, like, a phone alert. Like, his phone digs, dings, and is like, ah, shit, Allison's birthday. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, she, the, it's perfect. He gets home having bought a cheap uh, convenience store bouquet of flowers, has not even taken the tag off of them. Mm-hmm. Like you can still see the barcode. Carnations, which she hates. Carnations, which she hates. And Allison is just sitting on the island of her, their kitchen, smoking a cigarette, a half e- like half-eaten piece of cake on a plate in front of her, Glass, obviously the glass of red wine, and a cake in front of her on the kitchen table. And it's like, 
fucking asshole. Yeah. <laughs> she ain't wrong. She's not wrong, but it's like, wow, the effort. Mm-hmm. But I mean, she wasn't getting any other present that birthday, so I might as well make this last. Yeah. And last point before, oh, uh, two more points. A uh, special cameo appearance. Yes. At one of the locations when they find yet another of the serial killer's uh, tableaus, victim or commandment nine. Yeah, um, this is yeah, this yeah, is yeah. before yeah this is before he meets the uh, the auditor yeah because um, that's where we see the uh, the playground with all the hands and stuff playground with all the hands uh, and in the hands are teeth or teeth and eye and yeah. an eye um, eye, for eye for an eye tooth, tooth for a tooth, tooth. Uh, and then they go to meet our special guest star Heather Langenkamp heck yes they do. Um, Who's just in a scene. It's great to see her in anything. And that is why she is fourth built. Yes. Because <laughs> cameo, but eh, not a large part. We don't have any actual stars in this film. Yeah. And then my last micro note is... I mean, you can chime in on these when, we're, when I'm eh, talking. If we're on a roll, we're on a roll. Fair and enough. some of these aren't enough to really discuss. So that's why yeah, I feel like, like two little pockets. Um, the light bulb gag. And they do it a couple times in the movie, but it, I made my note when he sits down at first to talk to the assessor that they show close-ups of the light bulbs turning on. Mm-hmm. And it's the old fashioned light bulbs that they put in all of those restaurants named like, you know, the, the fork and barrel or, you know, the wrench and spleen or whatever they're, you know, it's all wood and there's tools on the wall and there's the old fashioned light bulbs. Yeah. With the those filament. Can, right. Yeah. With the, like the broad filament, except they're specially made to be that old fashioned. Yeah. And they turn on real slow to power up, and you hear just the hard buzz as they do. And I'm so sick of that. Fair. It's it's done. We're done. We're over. Uh, we, we don't ever need to see that again. I'm, I'm down. Yeah. I use LEDs myself. I use LEDs, and they also I have never heard a light bulb turn on that loud. No. Filament or not. <laughs> if they buzzed <laughs> like that, these restaurants wouldn't be using them. It's it's just annoying, and usually when they use it for one bulb, they'll use it for five. Oh sure, um, sick well, of it. Well, I was like, like my favorite pet peeve sound effect is a uh, sword sounds. <laughs> no, oh no, no, not the use of the sword. Those are always awesome, mm-hmm. and, and the unsheathing of the sword I love. It's when they're just holding the sword and you know moving mm-hmm. by themselves. You'll hear it tinkle. Uh, it's like, the lights. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's just like it's kind of like tink, tink, tink. Even though it's not touching anything, it's just mm-hmm. the person is kind of like swinging it around on his own. And it's like, you know, you're telling the audience that the sword is poorly made because it's rattling. Yeah. What in the hell? What What is this noise you're adding? <sighs> yeah. No, yeah. No, I agree. <sighs> but anyway. So. So Sean gets away. Mm hmm. And uh, he. Has like kind of like like the movie kind of just is half hard. Or okay, first off, uh, Pinhead, the assessor, who I think was going to just let Sean go uh, before Sean got let uh, escaped on his own. Um, it seemed like he was leaning towards acquiescence, but yeah, I mean he's a bureaucrat. He smiles, uh, and he immediately goes to Pinhead and says, "You know, this was weird," and Pinhead doesn't care about any of it because hey. It's the Stygian order. This is not my problem. But let me uh, let me see a little. Let me have a little taste of the flavor. 
And mm-hmm. so, like, uh, the assessor cuts him off a piece of one of the pages of his sins, and he's just like, oh, daddy. Mm-hmm. Like, just short of, you know, kind of his, like, perfectly black eyes rolling back in his head. And just yeah. like, mm. It's like a Baltimorean having their first old bay. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's like, ah, this is the flavor of home. Sweet mystery of life, at last I found you. Um, and the assessor says, so we should go get him, right? And he's like, no, 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 no. He will come back to us. Mm-hmm. We're not going to have to work for this one. Nope. This guy, he took one of the boxes. It's going to be fine. Trust mm-hmm. me. And um, so Sean starts having, he has a nightmare with the Stitch twins. And uh, a special appearance by the Chatterer. And a special appearance. Oh, yeah. We had that great bit. With um, the assessor goes to see Pinhead at either before or after that sequence, and um, the chatter immediately like sort just goes right up into his face, and you hear Pinhead, who's still off camera, go no. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. like, in case we wondered if the chatter is just a dog in human form. Yeah, there was a chattering dog, which was separate, yes. but you know both of them could still use a newspaper to the nose every yeah. so often. <laughs> just love it. Just yeah. no. Uh, yeah, he so he wakes up from his uh, Cenobite dream. Yep, and more goo in that dream too. Yeah, this is the gooiest. It's a very gooey one, considering like how much goo was in that first one. Yeah, but it was still like outside of like blood and stuff. It was really just the Frank rebirth scene was the gooiest. Yeah, yeah. but this, this is, is just this is sort of on tap. Mm-hmm. Do not like. And uh, sort of speaking of which, although they don't actually, uh, then he has sex with his wife. Yes, he does. For the first time in this franchise's history, a man has sex with his wife on screen. And like it's consensual and and or enjoyable. Like the uh, like it's not explicit or anything, but it's like when I say on screen, it's, you know, typical movie. I mean, almost we don't get to see her boobs. Right. But I'm saying like, Mm -hmm. yeah. It's she is a married him. couple having sex with each other, and yeah, that is the first time in this franchise, as far as either of us could remember. The closest we get is in the first movie, uh, during the thunderstorm, Larry wants to check out the attic, and Julia, to get him to not go to the attic and, you know, cause the confrontation with Frank, brings him back to the bedroom for sexy times. But then Frank cuts the rat open, and then she can't have sexy times. She can't deal with it. Mm. So I don't know if they actually do it. And they always, but, they have their clothes on. Right. And whether they do or not, like implied sex and happening sex. off screen yeah. is a different thing than, like, there's just, there's an actual love scene between a, a husband and wife. Yes. Yeah. Change your pace. Yeah. Ooh, also, fun behind the scenes thing. You remember when the assessor was interviewing Sean... And Sean was, like, really freaking out when he was giving his answers and looking mm-hmm. at the crack. Apparently, Gary Tunnicliffe had contacted the actor's wife and asked her for personal anecdotes that might freak him out. And so the things he was asking the actor were all personal to him to get him kind of frazzled. Nice. But, and that was all done in montage because we weren't hearing what he was confessing. Exactly. Because, as we air quote, find out later, uh, a lot of what he was confessing was this modern serial killing spree. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. They knew it. We didn't know it. But, wink. Yeah. No, it was, was, again, like, well staged, well put through. If we had not 
gotten that, honestly, if we hadn't gotten the Dickens quote, it might not have been as obvious. And it still would have been like, oh, that's what they were. It was, I liked it. It was a clever way to do that. Yeah, no, it's good. And so we get, so after that, Sean goes out drinking. Yeah. Sean goes out drinking. Um, He's freaking out. Meanwhile, David? David is back at the office talking to Edgerton. Edgerton. And Edgerton reveals that she has two jobs, really. Mm -hmm. One of them is to help with this case because, again, there's a serial killer. You haven't caught him. And it appears to be your main case, if not your only case. And he keeps doing the thing. So... Anytime you're ready to spring your big plan. But also, since you have not caught him yet, maybe he's that good and you need help. Or counter solution maybe you're not good cops yeah and so i'm also here for that and you i'm telling because i don't think you're the problem now process of elimination your brother and this may be a surprise to you could be a shitty cop and or person no shitty cop and or shitty person he's definitely a person yes and he's shitty yes Mm mm-hmm Honestly, yeah, there's no real question marks on any of this. No, no, uh, he's a shitty guy. Yeah. So she's basically saying, your brother's a shitty cop. We're just trying to find out if it's actionable. Yeah. Can we fire him? Yeah. Um, but so... Uh, in the middle of that, they find uh, the medical examiner calls them and lets them know that they found somebody's phone in the girl's throat. In, in, a, in a... Like... In a, almost... The um, we have Sean going out, having uh, drinking and falling into falling in alleys and seeing visions of skinless people yeah. and the Cenobites coming back. Uh, and then um, it's after uh, David helps him get home, or David helps him get it cleaned up. Then they go back to the office. And then uh, they get the call about the medical examiner finding the phone. Right, 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 right. Okay. And so, but also at this point, David was flipping through Sean's copy of A Tale of Two Cities, which, as we all know, is the most popular book in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's underlined two lines from the opening, which the preceptor quoted in his first letter. Mm hmm. Do you think there's a connection, Edgerton? It's basically... He basically <sighs> brings it to Edgerton. He's like, I don't know. Do you think there's a connection? And even Edgerton's like, I don't know. Maybe he was doing research for the thing. Well, why didn't he tell me? He tells mm-hmm. me everything. I'm going to give you some names, and I want you to say the first thing that comes to mind. No. Leslie Ann Warren. Michael McKeon. Uh, Tim Curry. Mm. Martin Mall. Yeah. Christopher Lloyd. Yes. Howard Hessman. Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest. We're getting there. We're close. <laughs> We're close. If only you could give me a clue. <laughs> the rest of the audio was lost. All that is all that was found was sounds of Patrick murdering Tom in cold blood. <laughs> I wouldn't call it cold <laughs> right now. <laughs> So anyway, 
Sean, having cleaned himself up, arrives at the office and they say, The medical examiner found a phone lodged in Sophia Lanning's stomach. Neck. Throat. In her throat. In her throat. Excuse me. Excuse me. And, uh... uh, Edgerton smoothly says, David, Sean and I will go check out the phone. You stay here and look for clues that Sean is the killer. Mm Mm-hmm. A wink? wink. Oh, well, she, she, they go out to the, she, you stay here, we'll go look. Oh, no, I left my phone back yeah. inside. I need to go get it. I, Conversation bit. Yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's, it, it's so obvious. It's, it's so terrible. obvious. It's terrible. Um, it's great. But so in, uh, the medical examiner reveals that, uh, in addition to the phone, there was also a silver spoon wedged down the throat because, mm-hmm. Sean is terrible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, did you know that Hollow Notes Rich Girl is the number one song of all time, apparently, because he likes it right now? I bet you it is, though. Um, I don't know that the sales are up because you can always call the Call and Oats hotline. That's true. true. Yeah. Call and Oats. <laughs> you, you know about that? No. Oh, there's an actual dedicated phone number that if, if you ever need to hear a Hollow Notes song, you can just call this number and select. Uh, they always have multiple options. <sighs> And you just call it up, and you can just hear a Hall and Oates song whenever. And it's calling yeah. Oates, and it's been around for years. You know, the world sucks, but there are moments mm-hmm. where you have hope. Yeah. You call always Oates. have three phone number, four. If, I mean, you can always call 911 for help. Yeah. Um, but you can also you can call, call in Oates. You can call the They Might Be Giants dollar song hotline. Mm-hmm. Um, suicide prevention. Sure, sure. Um... I think movie phone's done. I think movie phone's done. Yeah. The internet. TI-41212 if you need to know what time it is. Oh, nice. Yeah. Now, that's in any area code in the U.S. So, uh, the medical examiner explains that uh, the phone had been using its GPS function the entire time. I love that movies always, like, explain it. It's like, yeah, their GPS was turned on. And don't ask anything mm-hmm. else about how that actually works. Don't worry. But luckily, her phone died when she did. Hey. So when we powered it up, it had tagged her last location. She has an iPhone 7. I'm still on a 4. I'm glad that they mentioned which one he's on so that the film wasn't immediately dated. Yeah. Um, and one of our guys here had the right charger, so we powered it up. We synced it. We got all this information and found the address where she was murdered, which would have not been the address where you found her because the blood and gore that was there was not it. So anyway, all that said, when I called you about the phone, here's the address of where we sh- she was murdered if you'd like to investigate it. So that's like a four-minute way around. Oh, we have the address where she was murdered. Yeah. But rather than tell you that, I want you to appreciate the work we went through for this information. Mm-hmm. You're getting a story, dude. It like, was it was like getting trying to get a recipe off the internet. Yeah, it's just like give me the, mm-hmm. give me the actual information. And, it's and, like getting a point out of one of my notes. Also, yes, uh, this is why I don't read them. But I, I love Sean is just short of going. Well, great! That's great news that you that we know where the person was killed. Come on, Edgerton, let's go check it out. Let's go out, check out this address. I'll drive. Do you need directions? No. Uh, yes. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, I know this town. I grew up here. <laughs> I, which answer is less suspicious, ma'am? Honestly, like it, it reminds me of how bad that one scene is in Friday the 13th, part five, when the, uh, 
the anachronistic gay greaser couple mm-hmm. gets killed. And uh, the sheriff is like, what the hell is going on here? And Roy the paramedic pops up into frame. You're asking me, sir? Because I'm the killer. No, I'm not asking you. Okay, well, you know, because I, I know who did this because I'm the killer. I'll just go over here now. Gonna try not to kill anybody while I wait. Let me know if you change your mind. I want And or need to die. <laughs> so, Sean and Edgerton go to the address. Meet, or do we see, you know, David, we, we see David's stuff later. Uh, Sean and Edgerton go to the address and it turns out that it is the, the workshop of the preceptor. And of course, Sean is the preceptor. Yeah. And our I, last two victims are planned to be David and an obscured woman. Mm-hmm. David, his own brother. But then uh, Sean beats Edgerton within an inch of her life. Like he is just pistol whipping. Yeah. With like the butt he of the hits gun. her hard. He hits her hard. Not with the gun, with the box. He hits her with the box. I thought it was like the, the butt of his gun. I thought I saw him holding the box. Hmm. Hey. He had taken the box. We knew that. But, yeah, like, no, I, I thought he had one. hit her in the face with a box after already, like, punching her hard enough that it sounded like he snapped her neck. Yeah. But to not box. confuse your neck cracks, right? He cracks his neck. He rolls it around, and it gets that solid crickety crack that anybody about to do hard work does, and I hate that, too. I am... So completely sick. I've never done that. Yeah. I have cracked my neck because it hurts. And sometimes there's muscle tension. I can't get it to crack and all that. And I appreciate that a neck crack can feel good. But why, when somebody's about to do something evil or intense, do they do this rolling neck crack without the reaction that goes with that level of popping? Because if you ever crack your neck and it does that many pops, you don't just immediately like pick up the gun and start going. You need to, like, lean on a table for a minute and go, oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Like, most uh, the most FBI profilers, because they don't want to appear prejudiced, have uh, buried a lot of the evidence connecting scoliosis with serial killing. <sighs> I know. Yeah. But if they've buried it, then how does it work its way into the hands of so many screenwriters? It's, you know... They they ask, and the FBI wants to look cool. Or it's a it's one of those red herrings they put out there uh, because serial killers never do that, and serial killers actually have immaculate posture. I could be, and that way you can tell the copycats from the real ones. I like this. Uh, I like that yeah. theory better. I would just like to see a movie at one point where they go after the killer and they show up, and the victim is tied to the chair, and the killer is just laying on the ground paralyzed because they cracked their neck too hard. <laughs> and I'm not even saying anything permanent, but they definitely like wound up like throwing some nerves off. <laughs> I can't move. I can't, I can't feel my legs. Well, were you trying to show off before you killed? Yes. Just a little backstory. And I, did I cracked my neck too hard. <sighs> and now you're going to jail. Exactly. So, David shows up because Sean had told David to come, and uh, Sean reveals that, da- that that of course he is the preceptor, and of course he hates all of humanity. And we have like yet another boomer monologue. This movie has a couple bunch boomer, of boomer monologues, yeah. Boomer monologues. Yeah. Um, and that uh, these kids today with their phones, he complains about that. He really does. 
It's like long phone rant. And this is doing the iPhone 7. Yeah. 2016, baby. Uh, is it really? Yep. Or at is least that's when the movie this is when the movie comes out. It might be actually. Mm-hmm. So uh Sean reveals that David is going to be his last victim with his wife Allison. Because David has been having an affair with Allison, and this is a thing that is like barely hinted at once. There's that one part where David answers the phone and Allison had called and he goes, Hey you. Yeah. And th- that's it. But that's also a thing that people say to people they know. Like yeah. your sister-in-law, who is also your partner's wife. Like, not just your brothers, but you are also cop partners. Mm-hmm. Two places where you're probably pretty close and probably seeing the wife a lot. Agreed. Just traditionally. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. This is what I'm saying. It's like, this is the most they hint at at all. So, uh, yeah, Sean has also called Allison, and he has them kneel or get down, uh, sit across from each other on the floor and open up the box, the lament configuration together, thus bringing in. The Cenobites. Mm-hmm. And Pinhead arrives. By the way, box opening, very good looking. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. The box looked good. Like all again, all the effects in this movie look pretty mm-hmm. good. Um, yeah, I think it's one of the better box opening effects of the series. Could be. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we, we we it had the the right look, but we had like uh, it's the it's no longer the. Rotoscoped effects. Right. Yeah. It's never, it's not just hand painted on. Like, yeah. But like the, the light coming from inside looked a lot better than it, it has in the past. Mm-hmm. Wow. I just, it, no, it looked good. Again, he's great with making these practical effects look cool and mm-hmm. a little bit of later touch up. Yeah. Uh, Pinhead and the assessor arrive, and Sean immediately says, It's like, I'm here to make a deal. Or no, Pinhead is just like, yes, finally. Ah, oh, I've heard mm-hmm. I've heard so many good things about you, buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you this, uh, let's call this your second interview, but honestly, the decision's made. Wink, wink. Uh, Sean says that he never wants to go back to the assessor's room again, and so he is willing to trade his adulterous wife and brother. Mm-hmm. To which Pinhead says, No deals, Kirsty. Uh, we don't do... I don't do deals. I yeah. never do deals. Where did you hear this? Like, okay, those early movies don't count, and she got away with it too many times. You, you're you already out on one. Yeah. And it's like, right. no, 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 no. Well, actually... You like, were mine, like, two days ago, dude. Well, I like that Pinhead says, I'm not the one after you. It's this guy's after you. And, you know, maybe I'll do something afterwards, but you are not my concern. Uh, these I'm impressed with you. But I'm here for them. And then he snaps his fingers and, like, as an afterthought, David and Allison get pulled off into the pit because, like... Oh, he eh. doesn't even say he's there for them. No, he says, he says they're ben- their sins are beneath me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, he's, he's there to, to get a look at Sean, but mm-hmm. he's not there to take Sean. Right. It's like, I don't care that you opened a box or not. You are still supposed to be out and about. Um... Yeah, they open the box. Their sins are beneath me. Hooks come out, and we are done with those two characters. It's kind of great. Yeah, <laughs> like they're just literally like mm-hmm. like chained through the chest. Pops open hooks like a grappling hook, mm-hmm. like a fancy Batman grappling hook, yeah. and then yeah, they just get yanked into a 
dark cavern and then the wall closes. Yep. And I love Pena has like some line is like, don't worry, we'll still find something appropriately terrible for them. Yeah. Uh, but he's like, yeah, no, you're interesting. And once this guy's done with you, I'm going to have, we're going to have so much fun. Mm-hmm. But then Zophiel arrives. The angel is back. And then everything becomes clear to Pinhead that, oh, you want him around to scare everybody into praying to God. Mm-hmm. And there's competing monologues, which, again, I thought were a lot of fun. They, I, I again, all fun. that, like, all the heli type speak is just, mm-hmm. I just enjoyed. I mean, he's probably been writing these lines and pocketing them on every movie he's written. Yes. So he had, like, a whole notebook full of great Hellraiser lines and mm-hmm. gets to use them. Yeah. And, but, yeah, he's just going on about, like, you just want... You want evil on Earth, and the you know Eden's guardian. Uh, she's all in white and bathed in white light and very angelic, and not wearing a shirt. Oh, it was hard. It was, it's like, a it jacket was, that's very tight on her and is uh, pulled together uh, in her chest, but okay, gotcha. uh, she's not actually wearing anything underneath it. Gotcha. I'm a scumbag. No, I just like the bright white light, and I'm not wearing my glasses. Fair. Um, but yeah, she. The two of them discuss how we need evil on Earth so people know that good and evil exist. And if evil is to exist, it's better evil that we control and we commission. So he gets to go out and do his evil, so that other people are afraid and other people pray. And that's the deal. And if you don't like it, you can talk to the man upstairs. Just kidding. You don't get to talk to the man upstairs. That's our decision. Yeah. So it's super fucking corporate. It's super fucking corporate. And I love uh, Sean immediately starts going, I was like, oh, well, see, You're looking at uh, the assessor in Pinhead, I'm forgiven. I'm right with the Lord and everything. And then Zophiel immediately turns around, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. When your, your purposes, your actions serve our purposes right now, when we're done, you are going to be judged and. Mm-hmm. Ain't or, no coming back from where you've been. No. Yeah, like, you might as well keep on keeping on and get your kicks in because your retirement will suck. Yes. And Pinhead, at first, doesn't want to let him go. But then he's just like, he kind of looks at everything. He's like, kind of smirks to himself. And is like, okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and like, Because he's even told, like, you know, we're going to come down on you if you don't go along with this. Um... We're going to give you some suffering in Pinhead bases, like s- suffering me. <laughs> like that's my jam. Yeah, like you don't even bring it on. Or... Like here, you're about to throw me in the briar patch. Oh, like I am all that. for it. Yeah. Like so, he sends he uh, twists the Hellraiser box in a different in a way that we haven't seen since the first one, mm-hmm. which was nice, and. Uh, Sean goes home, goes back, is back in his workshop on Earth, and is immediately shot dead by Edgerton, who is somehow not dead. Yeah, like she is, she has recovered enough from her injuries. She's very badly burned, mm-hmm. but good enough to stand up and hold a gun. And he gets up, and like she just shoots him in the chest, and he starts to give one of his lines of, "But I have the power!" Bam, right in the head. She just shoots him like, like five times in the head. Yeah, it's she, amazing. He gets a he gets a scream one ending. Yeah, it's just like, no, you're not, just, no, fuck you. Just fuck yeah. you. Die. Yeah. Better yeah. on the safe side. Yeah. And then she calls for help. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, back in Pinhead World, uh, Zophiel is not plussed. No, she's like, you knew that was going to happen. Hey, babe. 
You never asked. Oopsie to you. I mean, not for nothing. What people, what the humans do on Earth, that's what they do on Earth. Yeah, he didn't control that. What did I do? She never asked. She said, we're sending him back. And if he knew, he knew. She did. And she's an angel. She's working for Divine. She also probably yeah. should have known. He didn't say anything, but neither did whoever was handing down the answers on high. Oh, shit. So maybe, I mean, she's pissed, but maybe also God knew that let's let this cop take the guy down. Yeah. Because that serves a different story for humanity of good over evil. It could still be the divine plan. Definitely. But the two of them don't see it that way in that garage. No, no, they don't. And so, Zophiel gets all pissed off at Pinhead. And at this point, Pinhead has just had as much as he mm-hmm, can stand. Because this, this damn woman from corporate mm-hmm. has got her hooks in him. Uh, and so... they like I think the final straw may have been when she said, if you don't give him up, there'll be hell to pay. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I do the hell puns, goddammit. Yep. And again, as I pointed out, with all those pins... Man's not wearing a toupee. No, it's going to look weird. It's going to look real it's weird. It's going to look really weird. I mean, everything else will be banging, but... Yeah. So... I want to see somebody Photoshop that. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I want to see somebody else's take. Fair. So, Pinhead proceeds to Hellraiser chain uh, Zophiel in all of the places. And, like, he starts... Like, once... he First, he, like, just puts her, like... Uh, immobilizes her and then he starts taking his pins out one by one and just shoving them in her face mm-hmm. we don't see exactly what he's doing right away because like he does two of them I thought he was getting her in the eyes yeah. and you see blood running down it's not no they're all just in the forehead but it's kind of like um, vaguely like a crown um, sort of kind of crowny but I believe it was it was hard to tell from like because she was moving a little but I'm pretty sure it was supposed to be the IRNI all right, all right. Uh, the uh, yeah, the King of the, the Jews, yeah, Jesus um, Christ, King, yeah. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, yeah. Maybe, um, but because he basically makes crucifixion jokes to her, mm-hmm. and then she looks him dead in the eyes and super sarcastically, loved this, says Jesus wept, yeah, like. Yeah, call, I don't call back, but also call back, fun call, of it. but like flipping the tone of it. Yeah, and just like you know, boo hoo, like you're no, oh, you're so put upon, Mister Hellman, and then she's just yeah, she gets ripped apart. Yeah, she well, like she get her arms. I think are the ones that are ripped. She splits in the face. Oh yeah, and it is a. It is one of the more impressive skinnings I've seen in a movie. Yeah, it, lo- it just looks. It great. looked. It looked gross, it looked scary, it looked painful, but it also just looked great and cool. Like, it was a, it was a good effect. No, it's amazing. All, again, all the like, effects yeah. are worthwhile in this Dude, movie. Ton of Cliff should put half this movie on his effects reel. Definitely. And the other half is, like, interview scenes. We can cut those. Well, I mean... Yeah. yeah. So, uh, the assessor, like, literally says, that may not have been the best idea. And Penez is like, what are they going to do? And then everything starts getting, like, increasingly white. The assessor literally just is like, I'm out of here. And uh, then it cuts to a derelict alley and a bald man bemoaning the fact that they took the suffering away. Mm -hmm. There was such sweet suffering. And it's Pinhead in human form again. And you see he's, like, tried to re- Scar, scar himself yeah, to put he's the been cutting back himself in. to try, but like unevenly. Yeah, 
And yeah, he's just human now. And then credits. Yeah, and, and that leaves after the this credits. Ver- this iteration of the Hellraiser universe, Pinhead has been made human. Yeah. And then we get like a post-credit scene where two Mormons in Germany show up to the house. Yeah. And the assessor says, two, and it's not even Tuesday. Mm-hmm. They tell funny. us very specifically Hanover, Germany. I thought it looked like Hanover, Pennsylvania. Could have been shot in Oklahoma. Yeah. But it's fine. The Mormons have German accents, but they speak English. And also they're Mormon. No, they're speaking German. Oh, it was subtitled? It was subtitled. I was so used to reading the subtitles by that yeah. point. Yeah, no, they were actually speaking German. Okay. But they are also Mormons, which is such an American religion. So it's weird. It's weird. Not unheard of. Maybe they're American Mormons, but... Yeah, yeah actually, yeah, the but, Mormons get shipped out all over the oh, world. Oh, yeah, there's an so. entire musical about it. Yeah, so yeah. They, they, they're just speaking German because they're in Germany. Gotcha. Yeah. I just thought it was really funny that, like... No, it's funny. It's an Amer- Yeah, this new American religion... As a lot, you know, as far as religions are concerned. Oh, it's new and made up. So religion. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If one, if one gets you, then you follow the, somewhere along the way, the idea was conceived, whether by God or a person, I'm not going to get into it. But yeah, they're all made up by someone or something. Yes. I'm not a fan of religion. Neither am I, but I try and be uh, accommodating. Oh, you're on your own on this one. Uh, yeah. No, I, I have no problem if somebody believes anything that makes them a better person, I'm good with it. Okay. Um, if it makes yeah, them so an asshole, which is what most of it does, that's where I got my problems. So this is the end of the canon, or of the original canon of mm-hmm. Hellraiser. I think it's a good one to go out on, all things considered. You know it's what? definitely yeah. better yeah. than the last few. I think it's one of the best uh, non-theatricals. Right. I really enjoyed the heck out of it. It's so weird. I, uh, it's five in this one. Ideas. I think are probably my favorites. Yeah. It's just like we're trying different things. Which don't get me wrong, Hell World was trying different things, but it's more of an it's more of a funny experiment as opposed to like a serious. Let's push this thing farther. Mm-hmm. And this movie does that well. This one felt like a Hellraiser because it felt invested in the concept, the bigger concepts and the mythology, and it dealt with somebody actively sinning and and there being a punishment arc to it. Yeah. Whereas most of them, including Five, mm. tends to be, well, you're an asshole, you don't know what's going on, but you're actually being punished by hell. It wound up being Twilight Zone, except in Rod Serling's place, it's Cenobites. Yeah. Um, And just consistently over and over and over again, what's going on? I don't know. You're in hell. Or you're about to be in hell. Like, they different scenarios and all that, but there started to be such a template, and this one didn't do that. Yeah. It kept it out of hell for the entire movie. It... It played with character interactions. It played with other ideas rather than just so So the end is that he's just already in hell. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, there is no, they're not doing a Jacob's Ladder trick yeah, with this which, one. We're an active story. Right. No, yeah. It's good. I, I really appreciate this one felt much more in line with those first four. Agreed. This is part of why it's just like, I wish they had... I wish they hadn't had like that script issue because like 
Gary Tunnicliffe and Doug Bradley have to be friendly after oh, all God, those yeah. movies and everything. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I think if Doug had seen the script, he may have come back for this. I think he would have loved doing this one. Right? He would have, that if he had seen Something. the script, he would have seen such awesome dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. We have such lines to read you. I mean, yeah, it would have been good. But it still probably wouldn't have stopped the reboot, which happened. No, but it would have been nice to go out on top. With Doug. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, that shot, it, like, it would, how good would that shot have been of just, like, just older Doug Bradley without the makeup and mm-hmm. the alley? Just even if that's so the pathetic. only shot you get him for. Even if it's yeah. a different guy playing Pinhead, but you just got Doug for that time. Oh, that would have been fun. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. But that's it. That's the end of the original Hellraiser storyline. And now we have a new one coming up. But overall, I still like the Hellraiser. It's fun. I listen to other horror movie podcasts, and whenever they talk about Hellraiser, they always complain about how much it takes itself seriously. Like, they think it takes itself too seriously and they're no fun. But I think part of the fun is that they take themselves seriously. Yeah. And it's a ridiculous concept. So if either you make fun of it or you don't. And I like that they don't. Mm -hmm. And sometimes... Like this one, they honestly, it feels like they're taking the piss out of a lot of the posturing. The main villain in house, the serial killer, has a final speech he wants to give, yeah. and he gets cut off immediately. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, you've talked enough. We don't care. We're done. Yeah. There's a lot of that kind of like, yeah, you, 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 your grand posturing, yeah, so what? Mm-hmm. Nah, doesn't mean anything. It's still going to happen this way. Yeah. And that might have even been, you know, unconscious echoes of I want to make a Hellraiser movie here's my pitch okay here's my pitch and like him pitching enough over the years like you can say it all you want but until the powers that be Mm. say okay it doesn't matter how much you say you got to show your work that's fair and he showed his work plenty movie to movie to movie and honestly I bet there were reports coming back about him fixing problems on some of the sequels or at least having suggestions or ideas oh definitely and eventually it was like, you're not ready to make Hellraiser 4, but now that we know how much you've cared and honestly shepherded elements of this franchise by the end, yeah, no, like, we get to call you up to the majors for once. Yeah. Or at least the minors. I mean, if we're we're just going to lose the rights anyway, let's let this guy do it. Yeah. And it did, I thought he did a great job. Yeah. And now we have the reboot. Which you have still not seen. I've, I I purposely did not watch it when it came out mm-hmm. because we had talked about doing the franchise, and yeah. I feel like fresh eyes are more fun. Oh, that's fair. I couldn't stop myself. I had. To I, it was it was super tempting, especially yeah. as a lot of folks were talking about it. But yeah. I I really I, I like it a lot. I, I it's gonna. I am very intrigued to see to hear what you have to think about it because they change a lot of things and. Like the changes work in different ways. Okay. And like they like there are pros and cons to all the changes. And so I'm very interested to see to hear what you have to say about it. Alright. Well, I'll have some notes next time. Indeed. Until then, get out. See you in hell. If you want to interact with us online, you can check us out on Instagram or Twitter at Amityville Show, or you can send us an email at podcastamityville at gmail.com. 